You're listening to Finishing Science, brought to you by The Particle. Science isn't finished until it's communicated. Scientists have a sort of slight habit of believing that the, the communication that finishes their science is their academic paper. Um, I think scientists probably need to be better at writing more clearly for a, a public at large. Hello, and welcome to the second episode of Finishing Science, The Particle's new podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Lloyd. Thank you for joining us today. Each episode outlines a science communication concept to help those in STEM fields, science, technology, engineering, mathematics, think more strategically about communicating, particularly through social media. Today's episode, Developing Purposeful Messaging. Let's get started. So if we can start, if you can say your name, your handle, if you want to, and maybe a sentence or two about yourself. Hello, yes, my name is Emily Olson. Um, my handle on Twitter is Emily underscore R underscore Olson. And I am an arts administrator, I'm sorry, arts administrator by training. I currently work in a development position at the International Spy Museum, but I can speak to my previous experience with communication, especially as I am also currently the social media chair of the DC Emerging Museum Professionals Group here in the DC area. And so you can't speak for spies messaging, but sometimes development works closely with them, correct? Yes, yes. So I'm not, yes, I'm not speaking on behalf of the spy museum at all. Um, I can speak to you about how my communications, my previous communications experience plays into what I do now in development. Um, but as I mentioned, I mean, I'm an emerging museum professional. I've only been in the field for about five years, uh, but three and a half of those have been in communication. And we, you and I met on a science communication adventure. So I can mm -hmm. definitely speak to it, but I am speaking as an individual rather than for any specific organization. What is an arts administrator? It's essentially the business side of arts organizations. Mm -hmm. um, so my degree is in visual arts administration from NYU. And a lot of the coursework around that has to do with development or fundraising, strategic planning, digital communications mm -hmm. for museums, um, to that effect. It's less on curation mm -hmm. and more on operations at every level on museum or museums or galleries or nonprofit spaces. So development mm -hmm. for SPY or nonprofit organizations, development, development means essentially fundraising or providing um, fundraising support to the organization. So for development, um, my background is actually in communications and in social media for the past three years or so, working for arts and cultural organizations. And in development, what's interesting is communications and development are sometimes part of the same department, depending on what organization you're in. Um, and while I am in development very firmly in that department, we do work with the communications department because so much of working in development is communicating to your community and your constituents 
how it is you're serving them and fulfilling your organizational mission and letting them know of opportunities that they can support you if you, if they want, or more opportunities for them to engage with you and your content and whatever service you're providing to the community. Gotcha. That makes sense. And so with Spy, you help with the development, or you are in development and you help messaging sometimes. Sometimes. And messaging, helping messaging development and other I don't know, I don't, they're not called industries, but other professionals are in this emerging professional group. Yes. Because there's multiple things that go to create a successful museum. Yes, exactly. There's multiple facets. There's multiple organizations, like not organizationally, operationally. There's different operations at a museum, the same way that there would be like the space agencies, NASA, Canadian Space Agency. Like you have people running personnel the same way you have engineers. Like you just have multiple roles to fill. Um, and a museum, you've got the exhibitions, you've got tour guides, security, social media, development, executive leadership, storage, all sorts of stuff. IT, IT is a really big one, especially now that everything's virtual. Oh man. Um, (laughs) but, um, yeah, it's, there is the emerging museum professionals is all sorts of different sectors. Um, within the museum world and there's variable opportunities depending on what people are interested in pursuing yeah so how do how does development and messaging overlap sometimes sure so messaging is pretty integral to development because you have to articulate what it is your organization does that's deserving of support and how you how your organization supports the community. Um, every nonprofit has a mission, and you need to be able to articulate why that mission, why your organization has that mission, and why it's worth supporting. Um, and then also with communications, you have to articulate how you're serving the community at different points, if that makes sense. Like there's usually different groups of constituents or there's different opportunities to serve. Um, Like a museum, for instance, might have like a Girl Scout day or programming for people with disabilities. And obviously those are going to be two different operational programs, or I mean, they might, they might be combined, but they're probably two different programs or multiple programs. And you need to be able to communicate to your community what's going on so that they can take part as well as what it is you're doing that might convince them to donate anything to your organization. Immediately before the Spy Museum, I was working at the Chicago Architecture Biennial in Chicago. I was working there in their communications department in social media and also coordinating the programming that they had with local and international partners. Chicago Architecture Biennial is a really small organization, so there was a lot of interplay with the departments. 
And then likewise at SPY, I do not work in social media and communications, but we work quite closely with them. Mm. Okay, I have to ask, what's your favorite exhibit at the SPY Museum? Oh man, Um, well, my favorite exhibit has to do with Virginia Hall. Um, She was a a spy in World War II. Mm. Uh, She's from the Baltimore area. And actually there's a couple of movies and books that are new that are out about her now. Uh, Woman of No Importance is a really good book by Sonia Purnell. Mm. But essentially she was the most wanted spy by the Germans in World War II. She was an American. She actually joined the war effort in Europe against the Nazis before America was in the war. Which oh, was wow. Intention. Um, and she worked originally for the British intelligence and uh, French resistance. And then when they thought it was too dangerous for her to go back at that point, or back to Germany, uh, back, sorry, back to France, after she had escaped the Nazis, she wanted to go back to continue to help the resistance. And Britain thought that it was too dangerous. And at that point she switched over to the Americans, which were at that point in the war and went back and continued to help the French resistance. Mm -hmm. She was an amazing, amazing person. And she survived the war. She came back to the States. She actually worked in the CIA for a little bit um, before she retired, but she did all of this also as an amputee. Uh, She had a prosthetic leg, which in the twenties and thirties, the technology for that was not great. Um, so she was just an all around amazing person and she's a native to the Baltimore area. Well, unfortunately she's since passed away, but she was raised in the Baltimore area. Mm. And funnily enough, she went to, uh, the university that I went to for my undergrad, which was awesome. Oh, cool. That's a really cool story. I didn't know about her. Would recommend. I love her so much. (laughs) She's so great. So when... Either the Chicago Museum, Spy Museum, when you're working with a museum, what kind of things or messages are you trying to communicate with the public? What are you trying to share? So it it depends on the museum's mission or the organization's mm-hmm. mission. Um, so the Chicago Architecture Biennial, the mission, the Chicago Architecture Biennial is the largest exhibi- uh, architecture and design exhibition in North America that is free and open to the public. Mm -hmm. So for that, we get a lot of people interested in architecture. We get architects, but we also get the public who may or may not be interested in architecture, but may be interested in the exhibition. It also helps that the Mm -hmm. exhibition uh, is centered in the Chicago Cultural Center, which Mm -hmm. if you've ever been to Chicago is a free building that the public is welcome to. So you get a lot of people who may or may not have a background in architecture and that changes a lot of the communication strategy obviously um because you're speaking to um people who aren't as versed in the trends or the discipline itself Mm -hmm. um but for the spy museum the spy museum is a little bit more straightforward because it is the largest spy museum in the united states um there's, it's really interesting to be part of the constellations of museums in the DC area. As of October this year, I am the social media chair of the DC Emerging Museum Professionals Group. And we are a community that grew out of the national 
Emerging Museum Professionals, which is a part of the American Alliance of Museums. Sorry, it's just kind of like a Russian nesting doll of organizations. We are not a formal organization or a nonprofit. We are essentially a networking group of emerging museum professionals in the area. And emerging, we qualify emerging to be um, within 10 years in the industry. So we have people in visitor services, communications, development like me, or of those two blended together, um, security, retail, you name it. But the current board of it essentially fosters that community and we're looking into opportunities to partner with other organizations and essentially just provide emerging museum professionals in the area with development opportunities, professional development opportunities, sorry, um, and expanding their skills and helping with networking. Um, you kind of talked about different people you target. It could be for fundraisers or people interested in coming to exhibits. Can you talk a little bit more about different audiences and maybe what an audience is? Sure thing. Um, so the, again, this is going to be different depending on the nature of the organization. Um, but for something like the Spy Museum, especially in DC, uh, most people I've spoken to that aren't from the DC area have come to DC on a school trip when they were a kid. Um, most of the DC traffic through museums are tourists. Mm -hmm. um, whereas the Chicago Architecture Biennial was a tourist attraction, but it was geared towards Chicago and the architecture community internationally. Um, and so similarly for museums, you've got tourists to the city, you've got spy fans and aficionados, potentially former spies or future spies. Um, and you've also got members. And so you also want to make sure that you are communicating with all of these people that are part of your community um, to make sure that they're connected with you and what's going on um, and to make sure that what the organization is doing and what the organization is up to is on the radar for people that are both already invested in the community or might want to be invested mm -hmm. in what's happening at the museum. So whenever you craft a message, you're thinking about these different audiences, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. So what, what goes through your head when you're, you're trying to craft it? Like, what are some things you think about when trying to tailor a message to an audience? I would say that your, your mission and your vision are all part of your brand and how mm -hmm. you, like how you act online as well as operationally, like that is part of your brand. That is your organization's reputation. That is what it is that you do and it's what you're known for. And you need to be able to manage that. And with development and communications, market that in such a way that you can sustain that work in your community. Um, your mission is your, it's what your organization does. It's what your organization sets out to do. So how would you describe like the mission, vision, brand, 
and how that works with messaging for the emerging professionals group, like when you're doing social media for it? How do you keep all that in mind when you're crafting a post? Or sure. do you not so, keep that all in mind when you're crafting a book's post because it's too much information? <laughs> oh man, no, you have to keep that in mind or you are going to go insane. Um, the, it's essentially what it pairs down to is what, and it's the same when you're working with an organization, especially a fast-paced organization, when like if uh, the museum professionals group is a very collaborative group and I work with my cohort, my my fellow board members to strategize content and share and work with partners to both promote opportunities and to disseminate opportunities, sorry, and to develop further opportunities for our constituents. So when things come up, this doesn't really happen so much in the Emerging Museum Professionals group, but it has in other situations where um, another part of the organization would want you to share something, but either you know that it's not going to perform well on social media or you think that another model of presenting that information might be more resonant or essentially just if what you're being asked to share does not align with what your goals are, don't do it. <laughs> um, you can obviously workshop it so that it does meet your goals, but everything you share has to have some relevance to what it is that your organization does or what you're trying to do or something that would be relevant and helpful to the constituents of your organization. So you do have to keep in mind what it is your organization wants to accomplish while you are crafting content. Um, but sometimes it can be like, so for DC Emerging Museum professionals, it's mostly job postings, opportunities for professional development, networking events, technologies or programs in museums that are adapting in the current environment and whether or not those are going well and like helpful tips for professionals in museums, you have to make sure that everything you're sharing fits within the brand or the goals of your organization. So everything should connect back to your brand and your organization's goals, even if it's like a, a quote unquote fun post. Yes. So like, for example, NASA sometimes did that post in, around Halloween about spooky sounds, but they're all like sounds from space. And so that's how it connected and it, it shared the interest and in space and trying to help people understand what's out there. Yeah, I mean, that, and there's a lot of opportunities, there's more opportunities to do that than you would think. That's exactly how like you can look at like a social media calendar and it's actually not that big of a stretch to both contribute to whatever themed opportunity while staying on brand with your messaging. Like if NASA were to decide to just talk about sharks for a day, I mean, like I'd be all for it, but a lot of scientists would be very confused. So how do you learn how to do that? Like, how do you know, maybe I'm overthinking this for, for my audience for this podcast, but how do you know that something's coming up, it should connect to the vision of our, the vision and mission of our brand and our content and I have to communicate this effectively. Like, how do you know that it's not just gonna, like one of those moving variables is gonna fail inevitably? Well, so a lot of it is experimentation. 
Um, preparation is also key. While you want your messaging to be timely, it is always a good idea to plan out content um, as much as you can. And also to have like rainy day content if for some reason something falls through. Um, and there's a lot of social media calendars you can find online and your organization might have different calendars. Like for instance, um, you can schedule posts in the future, but you want to make sure that nothing comes up in between when you schedule it and when you post it that mm -hmm. changes the context of what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Um, so that is one of the primary things to focus on. And other than that, you want to make sure that what you're saying is clear to your audience, because as someone with an internal understanding of the organization, it's going to differ from what it might look like on the outside. Mm -hmm. And other than that, um, yeah, for clarity, people that are, especially people that follow your social media are already fans of the organization. For the most mm -hmm. part, you, you don't necessarily need to, you don't necessarily need to sell them on the organization. Like you, you do in the sense of you have to communicate what exactly it is that makes your, your project great or what's interesting about it, what may be of interest, but at the mm -hmm. same time, you have to make sure that you're not condescending to them um, because they're aware of your organization already mm -hmm. and they already, um, I guess it's just, it's a type, it's a tightrope of what they already understand, mm -hmm. um, and what they're interested in versus whatever it is you're communicating to them at that time. So, so what you're saying is it can be difficult when drafting social media posts and messages meant for multiple audiences because everyone has different understandings of the organization, whether it's the Chicago Bicentennial? Uh, Chicago Architecture Biennial. The Chicago Architecture Biennial or the Spine Museum people have different understandings and backgrounds that they're coming from into this message that you've crafted. Yes, it's a lot like um, when you work <clears throat> excuse me, if you ever, if you go to a museum and you read the museum wall text, mm -hmm. um, I learned in coursework in my program for exhibition design that you want to, the industry standard for wall text is to be written at like a fifth grade level of understanding mm -hmm. because you want people to learn, but you also don't want to write like a little novel on the museum wall. Mm -hmm. Um, and you want to make sure that the highest breadth of visitorship will understand and get the information they need from the wall text. And I mm -hmm. think, especially with character limits, that social media works very much the same way. That's an interesting point. I really like that. Like, um, thinking about the audience being like at a fifth grade, everyone can kind of understand level and the amount of words you're putting out to not just throw things at the wall and hope someone understands it. Yes. Cause the other thing too, is that you want to make sure that as many people as possible, or at least as many people as, as many people within your audience understand and hopefully engage with the message. Cause you want to make sure that it's relevant to them and their interests. Mm -hmm. um, and you also want to make sure, cause the other thing about social media is that the more people engage with it, the higher reach it's going to get. Mm -hmm. 
So it really just makes the most sense as a strategy to craft content that your audience is interested in engaging with. Mm-hmm. And that sometimes requires experimentation that also sometimes changes over the course of an organization um, exact, or a platform. Since social media platforms change their algorithms all the time, mm-hmm. um, there's just a lot of experimentation involved. But keeping content relevant to viewership is key. How do you approach explaining complicated concepts or complex ones to an audience via social media or on the wall text of a museum? Is it still approaching that fifth grade kind of understanding? So it's open to like, we're all, so it's accessible to everyone. Um, that's a really, really great question. The, in terms of breaking down complicated subjects or especially these days with um again like speaking from a museum perspective there's a lot of Mm. complicated histories involved in Mm. objects i mean same with uh space technology actually but um just making sure the other other thing that i recommend um it's difficult with very small teams but um making sure that another set of eyes can look through it and make sure Mm -hmm. um that your content, not that it isn't responsible, but that it is, <laughs> that it is um, very clear and the message that you intend to share is the message that necessarily shines through. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, it's funny you should mention that in particular because, um, so you and I met in NASA Socials, mm-hmm. um, but one of the reasons I ended up at NASA social events from an arts perspective was because when I was in grad school, the digital uh, communications manager at the Jewish Museum in New York wrote an article for Artnet News mm-hmm. um, in which, so her name is Jaja Faye, and she actually talked about how if NASA can communicate um, concepts to the public, art museums should be able to communicate their message to the public. Yeah. Um, and it's very similar um, in strategy of break down the idea mm-hmm. in however many components you need. The fewer, the better, but at the same time, make sure that it's better to over-explain than to under-explain. Mm. Um, within reason, obviously don't put like a 99 tweet <laughs> on, on Twitter. People are going to lose Quite interest. a thread. Yes. Um, but um, don't be afraid of taking the space you need um, within reason. Because the other thing is too, is like experimentation is important, mm-hmm. but you want to make sure that it's, that the concept that you're starting with is shareable in a way and that also will reflect what medium is best to do it Mm -hmm. um if it is by tweet or if it's by video or if it's by um podcast even Mm -hmm. um but other than that breaking down the concept and understanding what pieces the audience will need to understand the whole message and then Mm -hmm. making sure that each of those is communicated. 
if you had to start over from the beginning and learn communications anew, since by comparison, you're, you weren't formally trained in school, such like as I was, how mm-hmm. would you, or how would you recommend someone like learn how to communicate or how to do social media? Like what, what would be your best practices or best advice? Um, my best advice coming at it now mm-hmm. would be active listening or more active listening in terms of what's already happening. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you mean by so, listening? Yes. So listening is looking at other organizations or essentially your field on social media and mm-hmm. seeing what other people are saying, how other people or how other organizations approach, engage with, and share concepts or ideas mm-hmm. and what works for them and what doesn't work for them will save you a lot of work. Um, the And obviously every organization, every viewpoint is going to be different, um, but pay as much attention as you can to what is and isn't working already in the field. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, I, so when I was in college 10 years ago, a lot of social media was new. I mean, it is still by comparison, pretty new. Mm -hmm. And a lot of organizations, it's not that they didn't know what they were doing on social media, because that isn't the case, but because everything was so new, there was no necessarily long-term strategy. Mm. And a lot of, um, a lot of organizations invested a lot of energy in platforms that didn't end up taking off or that took off for a little bit and then burned mm-hmm. out. Um, like if you've heard of an app called Foursquare, that was rest in peace. I actually have no idea if it's still running or not, but like companies aren't, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> it's not still running. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't make sense to invest any any energy in Foursquare now, especially because mm-hmm. it's not running anymore. But like, even if it was, it's clearly not on public visibility whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was the worry with a lot um, with TikTok, with what's happening with TikTok, whether or not TikTok would be canceled. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and the other thing is too, not every platform is going to be relevant to your audience. Mm-hmm. Um, just in general. I mean, there are some museums and organizations that do TikTok really well. Um, I remember when I was in grad school, LACMA in LA was one of the best examples of how an organization was using Snapchat. Ooh, um, interesting. Because they partnered with Disney to tell Disney stories through objects in their collection. Mm. But that's the main that's the main example I can think of of an art museum using Snapchat really, really well. But that's the thing too. It's like these well, days. That's before Instagram stories and Snapchat. such, right? Cause now kind of those mm-hmm. qualities that are on Snapchat is on Instagram and Facebook. Whereas mm-hmm. five, six years ago, they weren't. Yes, so. exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And now um, depending on the organization and the viewership, Um, it may or may not make sense for your museum to have a LinkedIn or to, to regularly post as much content to LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. Um, 
like for the Chicago Architecture Biennial, we did because so many people involved were professionals in the museum world mm. or the architecture world or design. Um, but it made sense for us to have LinkedIn content um, more than it might make sense for another organization. Yeah, that makes sense. But um, I think, yeah, listening listening is key. That's my main takeaway. And just to make to make sure before you put effort into building out strategy for a specific platform that it makes sense for your organization or messaging to even be on that platform. Um, and that's hard to tell at first and you're going to make mistakes. And it's okay sometimes. to experiment and make mistakes. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause the, especially with new platforms, there's always a tension of wanting to wanting to hit the ground running, mm-hmm. but also, yes. Like if you, if it's not that it isn't worth it, but that it makes sense to do that. That's a good investment. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. That's all the formal questions I have. Is there any last thoughts or advice? Anything that you want to share? Um, no speaking, is okay too. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, speaking to the inertia of just getting started and not knowing enough. Um, everybody has a different background, and what's really interesting about that is that it means that your perspective is unique which may sound obvious but um as as we've talked about you and I met each other at NASA social Mm -hmm. and so NASA social is um NASA before COVID would open up press credentials to members of the public on social media for any of their uh, significant events like you and I met for Artemis Day, um, which in Louisiana. was the, mm-hmm. yes, in Louisiana and Mississippi for NASA Stellness as well. And what was really interesting, I love NASA and I have loved them for a very long time, but coming at it from an art museum perspective, um, it's very much not my training. Mm-hmm. But I was looking at the application process for NASA Social. And the NASA social asks for na- for social media influencers. Mm-hmm. But what they mean by that is different from any other definition of influencers I've ever seen because they want influencers, the, their specification on that is people who would share NASA's message and information to people who wouldn't normally see it. Mm-hmm. And when I applied, I was not expecting to get in. I put that I met those requirements because I was coming from an art museum perspective and a cultural heritage perspective. So I was going to attend these NASA exhibitions of information from somebody who was coming from an exhibitionary context and could spread the word Mm -hmm. beyond the space sector. Which is exactly what they wanted. (laughs) Yes, that's exactly what they wanted. I was not, I mean, I was self-conscious about it, but I knew that strategically that would make sense. Mm-hmm. But I was still surprised and delighted when I got in. <laughs> so don't, don't hold yourself back because the, you don't, you don't know what will happen 
But the other thing is too, you might be exactly what they're looking for. You might not be, but that might, that might also be not at that particular time. That doesn't necessarily mean that you're barred from any opportunity ever from that organization, <laughs> just that you're not what they're looking for at that time. And if anything, like applying to, I still, I mean, I applied to a couple of NASA socials. Um, I didn't get into all of them or even most of them before COVID, but it's practice and mm-hmm. it's just practice narrowing your message, your perspective, your scope, essentially your personal brand. Um, and it's especially practice, at least for me, coming from a non-science communications perspective, what aspects of arts and cultural organizations messaging carry over well and what don't. If you're on your favorite podcasting app, Spotify, Stitcher, etc., go check out The Particle on Medium for show notes for this and future episodes. In the show notes, you can learn more about what we referenced, how to contact Emily, and find image quotes for you to share on your favorite social media. It's as simple as Googling and the particle medium will be the first search result. I promise. That's it for today. I'll see you next week. Music is a sonification of the Milky Way Galaxy by NASA. Editing, producing, writing, and all other podcast aspects is by Andrea Lloyd. The episode was recorded fall of 2020.